Dave and Ryan's movie review and action. Everyone loves going to the movies. And while some are amazing, some are awful. Fortunately, we have Dave and Ryan, two guys with nothing better to do than watch movies of today and movies of yesterday. So get your popcorn ready, silence your phones, and relax, because the show is about to begin. Cue Dave and Ryan in three, two, one. It's Dave and Ryan's movie review. Sponsored by Nobody. Welcome into another episode of Dave and Ryan's Movie Review, Take 39. 39. How, how we've stayed on the air this long, I'll never know. I Honestly, I think people stopped listening. I don't think they stopped listening. They're, well, just, they're just leaving mean comments on There have Facebook. been a few things that have been said, <laughs> yes, but that's okay. Hey, today we got a lot of stuff we're going to go through. We went to the movie, saw Argyle. We'll Arr. talk about that coming up. Yeah, it's a pirate's favorite movie, right? Yeah. Is that, isn't that what we decided? Yes. All right, but before we get there, we got to go to Hollywood. Welcome to Hollywood Boulevard, a place of glitz, glamour, and dreams. Just kidding. This place is a dump. That's why Dave and Ryan come here each week. You get the news from Hollywood without fearing for your life on the Walk of Fame. It's This Week in Hollywood. All right, so first up today, Michael Keaton teases Beetlejuice sequel as enormous fun and the creative decision to not rely heavily on CGI. That's got to be, that's got to make you happy. Yeah, well, you know, if CGI is done right, it's it's good. But, you know, the original Beetlejuice, they didn't use CGI. No. Because they didn't really have it. No. Nope. So, you know, if they do practical like that, you know, we, there was, you know, earlier we talked about, um, C, you know, CGI and practical effects. And with the development of HD TV, practical effects have kind of gone the way. Because they had to. Yes, because they show every detail. And you look bad. Yeah, there's a reason why Barbara Walters isn't on TV anymore. Oh, I thought it was just because she was no longer with us. Well, before that day. Okay. All right, so Keaton is teasing the upcoming Beetlejuice Beetlejuice film that opens in theaters September 6th. Uh, The Tim Burton film was the sequel, of course, to the 1988 horror comedy that starred Keaton in the titled role. In a recent interview, Keaton opened up about returning to play Beetlejuice and deciding early on with Burton that he wanted to avoid relying heavily on CGI. Was he thinking about his time spent on the set of The Flash? Probably. Maybe? Yeah. All right. He says, the one thing he and I decided on early, early, early from the beginning If we ever did it again, I was totally not interested in doing something where there was too much technology, he told People Magazine. It made it, it it had to feel like it was like handmade. And that's kind of way, like you said, that's the way the other Beetlejuice movie was, the first one. Yeah, you know, and Tim, you know, Tim Burton kind of got, you know, uh, you know, with the development of technology, you know, he kind of dove into that. You can see with some of his last movies. But, you know, hopefully this one's kind of like the, you know, plays homage to the original one. And it's got that kind of like gritty feel to it. And I, I'm looking forward to this one. I think this will be a fun movie. It, it's, I, I believe that it's maybe a, maybe a sequel that has been way too long in coming. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like a movie that that was crying for a sequel. Yeah. Well, well, according to the, you know, the trailer and all the information, it's, um, uh, what is her name? Winona Ryder's character. It's her daughter in mm-hmm. the movie. 
So that, you know, <laughs> she, she grew up and had a kid. They had to wait for Jenna Ortega to get to the point where she looked more like Winona Ryder to uh, be in this movie. So uh, she doesn't look like Winona. Ryder. Well, but she's 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 close. She's also a better actor than Winona Ryder. Okay, <laughs> shots fired. Winona Ryder couldn't even talk herself out of a shoplifting charge. Is that what you're trying to say? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. All right, if you don't remember that, look it up. All right, with our big Star Wars movie marathon coming next weekend, I thought this story was interesting. An abandoned draft script sells for more than $13,000 at auction. Now, when he left his London rental, Harrison Ford left behind something more than his toothbrush. It was a draft script of the original Star Wars movie trilogy that was discovered in the the place that he rented, and it sold for more than $13,000 at auction recently. Uh, the fourth draft of the screenplay that became the 1977 Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope was unbound and incomplete, but it did have such memorable scenes as the introduction of Chewbacca in, a, in the tavern. Um, the script dated March 15, 1976, and entitled, and, and, and I love this, because I think this was the working title, The Adventures of Luke Starkiller. <laughs> yeah. Sold to an Austrian collector for about $13,600 during a live-streamed auction last Saturday. Uh, the seller owned the home that Ford had rented while working on the film. He was going through, cleaning it out, found it, and decided, you know what? I could probably make some money off of this. And he did. I mean, keep it for for years. And he did. So good for him. Yay. Uh, yay. There we go. All right. This week at the box office, number five, The Chosen, season four, episode four through six. Didn't do too bad. 3.6 million on a, uh, f- and, and that brings its total to 4.3 million. Now, these movies that just opened this week, uh, this is just the weekend. Okay. The total numbers included President's Day. Okay. If that makes sense. Um, number four. Migration is still hanging in there. Still flying. Still flying high. $3.8 million on $114.8 million. Argyle, the movie we went and saw, $4.8 million on a $36.6 million total. Madam Web, wow. Yeah. $15.3 million. And its total weekend draw, including the President's Day holiday, was 235 and then One Love, the Bob Marley biopic, $28.6 million, bringing its total haul to $46.4. Uh, Madam Webb and One Love actually both opened on the Wednesday, not the Friday as well. So that's going to give them a couple of days advantage yep. over yep. any other movie that came out. So uh, I really want to go see One Love. I, I'm not a big Bob Marley fan, I'll be totally honest. I like some of his stuff, but I think there's a great story there. Oh, yeah, I definitely want looking to go and see it. So I want to go see that one. All right, coming up, we've got the review of Argyle. Great movie. I liked it. It was a good one. I thought it was pretty good. And then we're going to try and stick with a spy theme this week. Since we went and saw Argyle, we're going to be talking about our favorite or who we think is the best James Bond actor. Yeah. Okay. We've got a couple of, you know, pretty close ones. We'll talk about that. I think I'm going to make people angry. I don't know. We'll see. And then the other one, we're going to go back and and revisit uh, so bad that they're good. And we picked a couple of spy movies that are so bad that they're good. Yes. And today in our honest movie review, the closest I could get was to the world's greatest detective. It's now time for an honest movie review. 
Today we go back to 1997 and look at Batman and Robin, the action fantasy flick starring George Clooney. My name is Freeze. Learn it well, for it's the chilling sound of your doom. This is the way the world could end. With a kiss. With Venom. I probably should have mentioned this. I'm... Poison. Poison Ivy. And the only man who can stop them. I freeze. I'm Batman. This movie just plain sucks. Can't wait to speak with you again next week. All right, I think the biggest flaw with this movie, everybody had a really hard time with bat nipples. Yeah, that that wasn't the only thing wrong, but that's that's a good starting point. Thanks for pointing that out. You're very welcome. <laughs> uh, no, it was it was a serviceable movie. It was was it? It was okay. No, it wasn't. I think Clooney was a better Batman or a better Bruce Wayne than he was a Batman. Does that make sense? Yeah. So. But uh, yeah, interesting, interesting, interesting film. Thank you so much, Joel Schumacher, for that film. <laughs> and I'm sorry no. that he has passed away, and I can't, you know, write him a letter and tell him how terrible those what he did to the Batman movies was. It was, was not so good. bad. Was not good. All right, when we come back, we're talking Argyle. So stick around. Everyone on set, shut up! Shut up! These two buffoons are about to talk about a new release. Dave and Ryan's movie review segment one, action. What's more exciting than a brand new release to the movie theater? According to Dave and Ryan, nothing. They're the first to see it. So you're the first to hear about it. All right. So this week we went and saw Argyle. This was a great movie. PG-13. Two hours and 19 minutes. We're going to circle back to that. Um, it's got Henry Cavill, John Cena, Bryce Dallas Howard, Sam Rockwell, Brian Cranston, Samuel L. Jackson, Catherine O'Hara, and Dua Lipa. Did I forget anybody? No. I, honestly, I didn't know that was Dua Lipa. Yeah. Dua Lipa. Or and then the cat. Yeah. <laughs> the cat is not named. His name's Alfie. Yeah. And I'll just leave it at that. Alfie the cat. That's right. Okay. So Bryce Dallas Howard is a... Writer, she's an, a writer of spy novels, and the stories that she's writing kind of mirror what's going on in the world today. Yeah, they they say she's predicting things. She is. So there is a dark underworld group, a spy agency. It's a spy agency that is off the books. It's a black op. Yeah, um, that believes that she knows what's going to happen. So they decide they want to kidnap her and find out what she knows about something that went down that didn't go down the way it was supposed to. Is that? Yeah, they're looking for something. But when she has, so she she's writing and she's got to finish this book. She needs, what is it? One more chapter. Yeah. So she decides she's just got to get out and clear her head. So she gets on a train and on the train, some dirty hippie dude comes and sits down next to her and he flat out tells her what he does yeah and she whenever she envisions and writes the main character in her novel is henry cavill with a terrible haircut (laughs) it wasn't that bad reminded me of schwarzenegger in red heat 
that's how far back uh, I've got to go. He kind of looked like a Archer. Yeah, Dolph Lundgren and Rocky Four with the big fade. That's that's what I'm. You know, that's kind of what it reminded me of. Anyway, he is is Henry Cavill is Argyle. Yes, that's the main character, and his partner is John Cena. So Sam Rockwell comes in to kind of tell her what's going on and ends up having to rescue her on a train from all of these other guys. And I don't know what it was with train scenes this year in action movies. <laughs> uh, I'm talking to you, Mission Impossible. That was last Seven, year. Dead Reckoning <laughs> Part 1. It just lasted forever. This fight scene on this train seemed to go on forever. Now, that doesn't mean that they didn't make it fun and interesting. Yeah. Because it's always fun to watch Sam Rockwell do his craft. Yeah, I really liked how, um, as Sam Rockwell was fighting, she, you could tell she she was having some sort of like mental breakdown. And as she's watching him fight, uh, Sam Rockwell and uh, Henry Cal they would switch. You know, so he would be fighting, and then she'd blink, and then it's Argyle fighting. And when Cavill was fighting, she was totally into it. Oh, yeah. She was hot and bothered. <laughs> she was totally into it, but when Sam Rockwell's fighting, she could care less. Yeah, she's like, ew. Yeah. <laughs> so, anyway, they get off the train. Uh, he takes her. They make their way. Uh, what it basically is, is is they have all the dirt on this directive. Is that what, isn't that what it's called? Yeah, well, they're looking for the file. They're looking for the file that is all that has all the dirt on the directive yeah. so they can turn it and basically release it and let everybody know what these guys are up to. Um, along the way, you meet um, Brian Cranston, who is the leader of the directive, and Catherine O'Hara, who is her mom. Yep. I love Catherine O'Hara. <laughs> I really do. I don't think I've ever seen her in a bad movie. I really don't. No, I don't think so. I mean, speaking of Beetlejuice, I don't yeah. think I've seen her in a bad movie. Uh, you meet her, those two. You also meet Samuel L. Jackson, who is like kind of Sam Rockwell's go-to guy. I don't know if he's necessarily his boss. He's, he's like the uh, like the guy in charge right. of their side, like right. the tech guy. The good guy. So um, I, there is a huge... M. Night Shyamalan type twist in this movie. We're not going to tell you what it is, but I will say this just to give you the, the you know the idea before you go in. And I'm not saying this in any way, shape, or form as a slam to him. Ryan had it figured out in 30 minutes. Yeah, he knew what was going on <laughs> within a half hour. Uh, but it's it's a good movie. It's a fun movie. If you liked the Kingsman movies, you're going to really enjoy this one. In fact, there is a throwback kind of to. The Kingsman in, I would call it a mid-credits scene. Yeah, um, this young kid walks into a Kingsman pub. Yeah, it's called it's it's called the Kingsman. Yeah, but uh, and, and it's Argyle is yeah. is the kid that goes in there because at the end of it it says Argyle Book One. That's when it says it, isn't it? Yeah, coming soon or something like that. But it, I, I I it has left itself open for a, a another sequel. It also has left itself open for a really good franchise. I think. Yeah, I think so. You know, like like you said, Dave, if you enjoyed the Kingsman's movie, you're going to enjoy this one because they had that slow motion fight action where you can kind of turn and see the reaction of people's faces as, you know, the action is happening. Uh, the cinematography is very similar, almost identical, I would say. Uh, and overall, this was just, you know, it was a funny, good movie. And the, the great thing about it, speaking of the cinematography and everything, the locations that they go to. I mean, we're in Greece, 
We're in London. We're in France. Uh, beautiful sw- sweeping landscapes. You got to love that kind of stuff. And um, I, I will say this about the end of the movie. I, I, I said this in the YouTube review as well. If you have ever thought that there is no way that they would ever get a dance sequence <laughs> and an ice skating routine into an action sequence in a movie, you're about to be proven wrong if you go see this one. Yeah, things get weird. They do get weird, but that's Kingsman stuff, too. Yeah. It's, it's, it's just that's just the cool thing that it is. Uh, the one knock that I had on this movie, I thought it was a little too long. Yeah, it, well, it did kind of hit the little long mark, but, you know, enjoying the action, watching it, it really didn't seem like that for me anyways. Yeah, but like I said, it clocked in at two hours and 19 minutes. I thought it was a little bit long, but it's worth it. I would totally say that it's worth it. Yeah. Um, I'm going to give this one four buckets of popcorn. That's how much I like this movie. And, and as I says, it's good. It's fun. I personally, but that's just what i think because that was one of my fun the funnest parts of the kingsman i think it could have been rated r i think it would have been a lot funnier if it were rated r in some of these yeah, action sequences definitely could have been a little more gruesome on on the fight scenes but that's that's not really the kingsman style no which is kind of how what it kind of mirrored so i it, it i liked it like i said i gave it four and uh how'd you do feel on this one I gave it three buckets of popcorn. You know, it was good. Could have been better. There was a few little uh, loopholes in the story. But other than that, it was really good. And once again, you're going to go and you're going to look at yourself maybe 20, 25 minutes, 30 minutes in. And you're going to be like, are you kidding me with this? We're not. Yeah. We're not at all. Ryan was right. Ryan was right. Doggone it. I can't believe it. All right, so there you have it. Go see the Kingsman. Or the Kingsman. <laughs> I'm not going to take that one. Argyle. Go see that one, too. Go see Kingsman. <laughs> and go see Argyle. It's in theaters right now. When we come back, I've got mine. Ryan's got his. We're going to be talking favorite James Bond actor. Dave, do you know where you are right now? I think so. <laughs> when we come back. Hey, idiots. We're back from commercial. Dave and Ryan's Movie Review, Segment 2, and Action. All right, welcome back. As we as we said, you know, we're, we're trying to keep with a spy theme this week. Yep, yep. And so I don't know if there's ever been a better series of spy films than the James Bond franchise. I don't think so. What are we at? Like almost 27, 28 movies still going strong? Yeah. As we're waiting and... and that's the funny thing is, you know, Daniel Craig hung it up, and then they're like, okay, who's next? Who's the next James yeah. Bond? Who's going to be the next James Bond? Um, you know, is it going to be a, is it going to be a woman? Is it going to be an African-American man? Who knows? I thought they already had someone picked out. No. They have no idea what they're yeah. doing. But that's okay. Took them some time to, you know, think about uh, between Brosnan and Craig. So yeah. it's okay. We'll, we're going to talk about my favorite James Bond. <clears throat> Uh-oh. And I talked it over with my wife just like to make lo- sure that it was like okay. I don't like the look in your eye, Dave. I talked it over with my wife. I had to you know, pass it by her. And uh, I went with Daniel Craig. Okay. I, I wouldn't tell you. Daniel Craig portrayed Bond five different times, starting in 2006 with Casino Royale, Quantum of Solace in 2008, Skyfall in 2012, 
Spectre in 2015, and then his final bow as Bond was No Time to Die in 2021. Here we are three years later, and we're just as clueless as to who it's going to be. Um, the the probably the most the most famous or the most successful uh, of the Bond Daniel Craig movies yeah. was Skyfall. Yeah, Skyfall was huge. Uh, you know, you had the the song from Adele, and it was just a great story. The other thing that I like about Daniel Craig being Bond is that all of his stories went together. Yes, uh, you know, not many other Bonds had that. In their, in their, you know, and and what happened with that? So I was I was really interested in seeing that and and uh, watching the story kind of unfold. Uh, Casino Royale. He's just a young man that uh, likes to see what's going on with what, and yeah, it was kind of goes rogue. His first mission kind of goes yeah, he kind of goes rogue, and uh, ends up just on some white sand beaches with beautiful women. What a tough gig! Did Did you ever see the Woody Allen Casino Royale? No, no. <laughs> and I, I had that on my list. Is David Niven is one of the actors that has played um, James Bond? Yeah, and he actually was in that movie. Came out during Sean Connery's run as James Bond as well. Yeah. Came out sixty seven, I believe. Um, but there, there's we because we kind of went through them. There was Connery. There was uh, David Niven, George Lazenby that nobody wants to talk about because he was in one movie and it wasn't that great. Yeah. Um, then there was Roger Moore that maybe got you through the 80s. Yeah. Then you had, after Roger Moore, you had Timothy Dalton. Yeah, he was in two. And then you had uh, Pierce Brosnan. And the thing about Pierce Brosnan is he was coming out of the Remington Steel phase. And I don't know if you remember the series Remington Steel that was on NBC. No. But anyway, he played a, a private detective. But anyway, everybody wanted him to be Bond. Yeah, well, he, uh, you know, Daniel Craig, his his James Bond was kind of gritty. Yeah, and, and, and we talked about that. Yeah, and, you know, Pierce Brosnan, his is more of the upscale classic. Yes, and and as I said, you know, and, that, and I've argued with my wife over this in the past <laughs> because my wife is a huge Sean Connery Bond. Probably her favorite movie. Well, there's no probably about it. Goldfinger was yeah, her yeah. favorite movie. In fact, when Casino Royale came out, she refused. She's like, I'm not going to see that. I'm like, I'm just telling you. And then she saw the dude Daniel looks Craig rich. in his little tiny I, You know what? I am a man. I am strong in my sexuality. That's a good looking dude. <laughs> yeah. When he comes out of the water, <laughs> when he comes out of the water, a la Honey Rider. He is a good-looking dude in that scene. And, and that's what I talked to you about the other day, too, as we were discussing all the other Bonds, even though I believe we, we decided Sean Connery was a boxing champion. I, th I think so. Something like that. All of the other Bonds relied way too much on their gadgets and yeah. guns to get them through. Daniel Craig was the kind of guy. Just He was built looking at him like, if this guy gets caught somewhere and doesn't have a gun... He can probably fight his way out. Yeah, he looked like a little scrapper. Yes, um, you know one of my one of my favorite scenes. I don't know why it's my favorite, but is in Casino Royale when Mads Mikkelsen ties him to the chair. Oh, and he's naked, fling of the rope yes. around. Yes, but he there he's basically he is stripped bare. Granted, somebody had to come in and get him out of there, 
but he could have fought his way out of that. And he there's you can tell by looking at him. Uh, like I said, that was Casino Royale. The second one that he was in, Quantum of Solace, I didn't really get into that one too much. It was okay. Yeah. But it, it just didn't hit for me. Uh, as I said, Skyfall was great because you get that background history yeah. of James Bond and who he was and who his parents were and, you know, and where he grew up and things that he did. And they snuck Albert Finney in there. And you got to have Albert Finney if you're going to have, you know, Judy Dench in there as well. And so I, I liked that one. Spectre was really good, too, because of, of Christoph Waltz. Yeah unbelievable actor and he was fabulous in this as Blofield and Blofield is from you know the I think he was in Connery Bond movies he was in James Bond or Roger Moore Bond movies and you come to find out that they're actually grew up in kind of like the same foster family yeah and he just had kind of blocked that out and then in No Time to Die uh, the movie came out three years ago so I guess everybody knows not a spoiler uh, he dies in the end but does he no, no, but that's the great thing about James Bond is, is the way he was written and everything. He is a character that never dies because it's just a persona. Anybody can be James Bond. It's just a persona. And so, you know, we just move on to the next one. 007, James Bond. Boom. Here you go. This is your new life. And, and that's kind of interesting to those facts, too. And the way everything ties together. And, and that's why, for my money, I liked the stories better yeah. in the Daniel Craig, James Bond well, movies. Well, in, wasn't it in No Time to Die? He wasn't 007 anymore. No. No, he had retired. Yeah. Yeah. So um, it was the, the, the mantle was actually given back to him yeah. by the lady that had taken it. But yeah, he was not. He had retired in that. And there are plenty of other James Bond movies where James Bond thinks he retires. Yeah. And he pulls a Michael Corleone. And just when I thought I was out, <laughs> they keep pulling me, they back, pull in. me back in. So for my money, Daniel Craig, hands down, probably the best bond that's out there. I've seen all the other bonds. So I'm not just, you know, this living in the moment kind of a person. Yeah. Roger Moore to me was uh, was a Pierce Brosnan bond. He was just a suave dude that had his gadgets and everything yeah. and, and got to hang out with beautiful women. So, uh We'll see what happens and where it's going to lead us. We don't know who's taking over. They don't know either. So could be a while before we have another James Bond movie. All right, your turn. All right. So I, I'm going to have to agree with your wife. You know, Sir Thomas Sean Connery, in my opinion, is the best Bond ever. You, When you think of James Bond, you automatically go to Sean Connery. The name's Bond. James Bond. That was a horrible impression, by the way. But, you know. Uh, so he was, he's been in six movies and one unofficial movie. Uh, he was in Dr. No, uh, from Russia with love, Goldfinger, Thunderball, you only live twice. Uh, and then, um, and then, you know, he, he, he kind of stepped out of the role and then he came back in 1971 after, uh, uh, George Lazenby. Yeah. Did a horrible job and he was in diamonds are forever. And then he stepped down again, and that's when Roger Moore took over. And uh, Roger Moore did seven James Bond movies. Um, great, He did a great job. Uh, but then in 1983, uh, he was uh, Sean Connery was in Never Say Never, which is an unofficial James Bond movie just because it wasn't produced by uh, Eon Productions, who made the original James Bond series. And you know what the funnier thing about that is? What? 
it because we just talked about it. It was the bringing him out of retirement yeah. and getting him ready to go back into the field. And the the Bond girl in that one, and I'm not 100% sure, but I think the Bond girl in Never Say Never Again was Kim Basinger. Really? I believe that is the case in that one. But, man... Yeah. And, and, you know, I went, I was digging through when I was getting all these. I was looking up salaries of what each person was paid, what each man was paid. Mm -hmm. Do you know how much he made for that movie? Now, back again, this is 1983. So you have to do the inflation thing. But at the time, he was paid $3 million to be in that movie. And he got a 12% of the back end. Yeah. That's one of the first real contracts that because there were like the last three bond movies he was in he had a stake in some sort of back end on it. oh yeah, yeah probably one of the first times that i can remember seeing of a star getting a back end of a movie like after all said and done and if, and if you watch never say never you know you'll notice there's no gun barrel opening uh there's no the, you don't get that iconic music you know all that's just not in in the film because it's an unofficial uh james bond but you know um Sean Connery made James Bond an icon. You have to admit that. Oh, I'm not. I'm not doubting yeah. it. I, I enjoy the movies that he was in. Yeah, I, I was looking up the trying to find when we were doing research on this. I found this uh, quote from uh, Perspective.com. The bottom line: Daniel Craig, the one that you like, won over his haters and critics by modernizing and humanizing James Bond. All while making the franchise the most profitable it has ever been. However. Sean Connery is the actor who defined the epitom and epitomized the cinematic hero using his charm and wit and embodied the ultimate fantasy. Absolutely. I totally 100% agree with that quote because, yeah, he did. Like I said, I don't hate any of his movies. I just like what Daniel Craig did better. Yeah, and, you know, and people, you can go and watch these movies and make up your own mind. You can, all of them are on HBO and Max, so... Um, like I said, my favorite is Sean Connery, Dave's fact, is I, Daniel I, Craig. I believe that since they just bought them recently, most of them are also on Prime. Because Amazon owns MGM now. Okay. I think most of them are on Prime now. If I uh, can remember correctly, I can't remember 100%. I can remember going through and starting with Dr. No and working my way forward because they were all on there. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I, I believe that's the case. You can find yeah, you can find them anywhere yeah. if you have a streaming service. But James Bond, he's just cool. He is. There's no way around it. You've you've got to admit. Could you imagine a James Bond movie in the style of like Argyle and the Kingsman? Well, that's you know that's kind of what they were going for. Really, I mean, the Kingsman hit James Bond on the on the nose because impeccably dressed. Had to be, yeah. You know, cool gadgets. I, th I think that I think the big difference between like uh, the Kingsman and Argyle type of movies and James Bond is the the Argyle and Kingsman they're catered more towards a younger crowd. They are younger, where James Bond is more middle to old age. Maybe it would be cool if they had Matthew Vaughn direct the next James Bond movie. Yeah. He seems to be able to know how to do it. Yeah, if you want to pull in that younger crowd, you're going to have to get some, uh, you're going to have to dumb it down. Yeah, I will. I'm sorry to say that, but in order to make a James Bond movie into like a Kingsman type, you're going to have to dumb it down. You're definitely going to have to. 
But yeah, the, every Bond movie is good in their own way. Especially, I used to just love to watch new Bond movies just to see the gadgets that they came up with. Oh, yeah. And, and you got you to remember, like in the 60s and stuff like that, it was all about gadgets. Yeah. and Because Craig didn't really have gadgets. No. In fact, in the one he movie. He had a gun. Yeah. I, I was going to say, I think in, in Skyfall, that's all he got. He yeah. got a gun and he got a tracker for his shoe. That was it. Yeah. Of course, you get the cool car. But, yes, the car does everything. And the, yeah, we could we could spend a, a whole segment on James Bond vehicles. <laughs> yeah. So, all right. So, yeah, go check them out. They're out there. They're streaming, and they're great, great fun and great action movies. The James Bond movies, I, like I said, I think they're pushing almost 30 now. So maybe it'll be something that we throw into a movie marathon. Hey! Hey-o! We'll talk about that coming up. Plus, talking about spy movies so bad, maybe they're good. Maybe. All right, imbeciles. Everyone quiet down. Dave and Ryan's movie review, segment three, and action. Here's the question of the day. Mm-hmm. Why is it so hard to look away from a train wreck? Well, studies have found that our negativity bias is also a driver of why we can't divert our attention from disasters. So, what does this have to do with movies? Well, whatever the reason, a truly horrid piece of work can become an unintentional riot, and it even gets its own fandom. Which makes perfect sense. Why else would anyone watch an Alec Baldwin movie? And so now, Dave and Ryan will tell us where the line lies between simply so bad it's horrible and so bad it's good. Okay, so in the final segment, we know that there are movies out there that are really, really bad, but some of them might just be a diamond in the rough. So we've picked a couple of spy movies, and we're going to be talking about those. Ryan's going to get us started, and your movie is... The Man Who Knew Too Little. <laughs> this movie came out in 1997. It's rated PG. It's directed by John Amell. He's also directed uh, Copycat, Entrapment, and The Core. Stars Bill freaking Murray. Everybody knows Bill Everybody. Murray. Everybody knows Bill Murray. But it also stars uh, Jana Wally. You'll know her from uh, Willow. She was the uh, Mad Morgan's love interest. There is a reason that she was the love interest in that one. I believe they're, they got married. I think so. Her and Val Kilmer. Uh, uh, also, Alfred uh, Moline, from, uh, you'll know him from Magnolia and the Spider-Man series. He was Doc Ock. Uh, Peter Gallifer, he was in American Beauty and Mr. Deeds. And he used to trim his eyebrows. Yes, he had some big eyebrows. Yes. But uh, this movie is about uh, Bill Murray's character, uh, Wallace Ritchie, is mistaken for a spy and must stop a plot to assassinate international leaders at a banquet. So basically, he he's, he's from America, and uh, his brother, who's played by Peter, is living in London. He goes and visit him, and it's his birthday, and uh, his brother um, has a important business meeting that is going on in his house so he basically needs to get rid of his brother for the night and so he sets up a um this entertainment it's um it's like a theater but like live action and you're a part of it it's audience participation theater okay where uh you're given an address and you have to show up to the address 
and then uh, you witness something happen, and then basically you're off on this adventure with the rest of the cast. Well, he shows up at the location. Uh, he's at this house across the street. He sees basically someone getting robbed and almost murdered, so he thinks that that's where he needs to go. So he goes there. And basically, you know, he's in the wrong place at the right time. And so on this adventure with this woman, um, who's uh, uh, Jonah. <laughs> and uh, basically, uh, throughout the entire time, he's thwarting these guys, you know. He's not so, meaning he's, to. Yeah, yeah. Just totally on accident. Like, this guy is a complete moron. <laughs> and um, at the end of the movie, um, basically, uh, Alfred, who was uh, assigned to kill him, Basically, he thinks he's like the greatest spy in the world and like gives him his gun that he got when he graduated from spy school or whatever. <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's a fun movie. It's definitely uh, really stupid, I would say, but it's like in a stupid, funny way. Um, but uh, a fun fact about this movie, uh, there's a scene uh, when Bill Murray is at the airport and he's asked for his passport when he first gets to London. And he says it's not a very good photo of him. And when he hands the passport over, it's actually a picture of Carl, a character he played from Caddyshack. <laughs> Carl's Backler. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, this this movie is, um, it's dumb. It's dumb. I think it's really stupid, but it's it makes me chuckle. It's, that's all that matters, right? <laughs> and how could it not with Bill Murray in Yes. It? You know, and in these, in, in, in that block, and mine came out before this one, but there was still, there was a run of movies that were like this. Oh, yeah. Kind of like mistaken identity comedies. Um, the, the, like the one that comes to mind too with me was, um, spies like us. Oh yeah. That one I think came out in the early eighties though, but still, I mean, you had movies like that where you've got these two knuckleheads that have absolutely no business doing what they're doing, but they're going to do it anyway. Yeah. They, they get accidentally recruited to spy school in that movie. Right. And it's kind of <laughs> like, and it's kind of like, this one sounds kind of like a Mr. Bean kind of situation where he's doing things and he doesn't realize that he's doing things. Yeah. But he's, you know, but it's working out to his advantage. Yeah. And so. at, the, at the end of the movie, they offer him a job. As a and, spy. Yeah. <laughs> You're so good at and it. And he, he's still clueless. <laughs> he thinks he's going to be part of the acting troupe. Perfect. <laughs> All right. So my movie, as I said, came out in 1985. And it's The Man with One Red Shoe. PG, about an hour, 33 minutes out of your life. Tom Hanks, Dabney Coleman, Laurie Singer. Charles Durning, Edward Herman, Jim Belushi, and Carrie Fisher. Ooh. Great cast. Great cast in this movie. Uh, The deputy director of the CIA, played by Dabney Coleman, wants to increase his station in life, and he sets out to get rid of the current director, played by Charles Durning, and he uses the arrest of a CIA operative in Morocco for drug smuggling as the catalyst. Durning Durning knows what Coleman's up to, so he sends him on a wild goose chase with the help of his assistant, played by Edward Herman. If you don't know who Edward Herman is, you're saying I, you're saying you're you're thinking you're saying that name like I should know who it was. He was the head vampire in The Lost Boys. That's Edward Herman. And you're still looking at me like, <laughs> why does this matter to me? I'm not, I wasn't a teenage girl when uh, The Lost Boys came okay. out. Okay. Okay. Anyway, he chooses uh, who chooses. Tom Hanks at the airport at random as the man who could clear the director in the scandal. So Coleman starts to follow Tom Hanks's every move. Now, Tom Hanks is a violinist for a symphony orchestra. Okay. Uh, who actually is having an affair with Jim Belushi's wife played by Carrie uh-oh. Fisher. 
Um, Singer is an operative that works for Dabney Coleman, who, you know, just breaks the cardinal rule of being a spy. That seems like a weird character for Tom she, Hanks to play. She falls for the target. Uh, well, this was back in the 80s. I mean, what did you have before then? You had what? Um, so far by then, you had Bachelor Party came out. No. So that's the kind of characters he played, these clueless kind of... You know, numbskull, big characters like that. But it's it, there's just so many things that go on. I mean, he goes to the dentist, and they follow him to the dentist, and immediately Dabney Coleman thinks that he's having microfilm removed from his tooth. So he goes to the dentist, and while he's out, they go in and ransack his apartment, wire it for sound. I mean, there's all these X, Y, and Z that go along. And <laughs> so what happens at the end is both Durning and Coleman kind of get the, the the 86 out of the CIA, and uh, Brown, played by Edward Herman, takes over as the new director of the CIA. Uh, Laurie Singer and Tom Hanks do get together, so congratulations there. He gets the girl. <laughs> and Jim Belushi is, uh, is... He's put into a psych ward because... He kind of thinks what's going on. He figures out what's going on, and he's telling people, and nobody believes him. So they all think he's going crazy. <laughs> so, like I said, this is one of those movies that it was just that time. It was it was one of those weird movies. It's kind of funny, but it's not funny. It's very nonsensical. Uh, it's 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 things that you know. It's just mistaken identity once again. Yeah, you know, and the and the reason that he the reason that is called the man with one red shoe is actually based on a French movie that came out in seventy two called the tall bland blonde man with one black shoe. So it's basically a remake of that one. But anyway, the reason it's the man with one red shoe is he's forced to wear two shoes of different colors because Jim Belushi has hidden all of his shoes. <laughs> so that's how he gets picked in the airport is because he's wearing this one red shoe and it just kind of goes off on a tangent from there. Great movie. Uh, if you're going to want to watch this one, you're going to have to rent it because yeah. I couldn't find it anywhere to watch. But it's it's a pretty good flick there. Uh, Tom Hanks in his very early days and a really great cast. Anytime you can find Charles Durning in anything. Charles Durning was a fabulous actor. Amazing, amazing yep. actor. All right, so that's going to wrap up the show for today. But before we get out of here, we got to talk about something that's coming up next Saturday. Oh, uh, next week. We've been, we've been posting Seven it. Seven days away. And um, by the way, J.J. Binks, we hear you. Okay? We hear you. And if you want to know what that's all about, go on our uh, Facebook page, Dave and Ryan's Movie Review like it and follow through and find some of the uh, postings that J.J. Binks has been saying that's not very nice. I don't think it's very nice at all. <laughs> I think they're mostly directed at you. They are, but that's okay. <laughs> uh, so coming up this Saturday or a week from today, starting at 5 o'clock, we are going to lock ourselves in the conference room that we're going to transfer and kind of turn into a man cave here at the radio station. And we are going to sit and watch all 29 hours it is 12 movies of the Star Wars cinematic universe, yeah. starting with Phantom Menace and nobody gets to go home until the very last one. Yeah. <laughs> the way we got it planned, I think we'll get out of here right around 9, 30, 10 o'clock on Sunday night. Yeah. Start Saturday at five, Sunday at like 
11. <laughs> but we'll, we'll see how it all plays out. Anyhow, here's what else is going to go down. We will be live streaming it on yes. our YouTube pages and on our Facebook page, Facebook Live. We'll be live streaming both times. You can get on there. We're going to be talking about all the movies, uh, you know, come up with some things, give you some trivia and, and talk about different things and different aspects of the movies. And the other thing is uh, we are going to be doing the show next week live while we are sitting in there watching it so should be a different show next week it's going to be all kind of star wars centric we are going to talk about because we are going to go see dune 2 because we haven't decided to spend enough time in movie theaters this week <laughs> next weekend so we're going to go watch dune 2 so we'll have a review on that the rest of the show is going to be about star wars and then yeah Check us out, like, subscribe on our YouTube page, on our Facebook pages. It's all there under Dave and Ryan's Movie Review. You can comment, you can ask questions. And and as we've said, this is leading up to something. If I can make it through this relatively unharmed, Ryan keeps thinking he's going to beat me up, but that's another story. <laughs> if I can make it through this relatively unharmed, the next step on my journey is a three-day tour de force of staying awake and watching all of the Marvel MCU movies. Yeah. And if I can do that, then summer of 2025, we have got a great event that we're planning because I am going to go and try and break the world record of watching movies in a movie theater or cinema, and that is going to be 125 hours. Right now, it sits at 121 and change. I have submitted the paperwork and been accepted for the 125 hours of staying awake. That's five days of staying awake and watching movies, and we'll make you all a part of it. We're going to have a lot of fun as we work towards that. <sighs> Are you ready for next weekend? No. All right. But we're going to do we're it anyway. Do it anyway. <laughs> so once again, thanks for joining us this week. Make sure you join us next week. As it's going to be on, we're going to jump down the Star Wars rabbit hole all next week for the show and forever, it'll feel like, pretty sure. Yeah. All right. So, Ryan, get some sleep. Rest up this week because you're going to need it. Yeah. Okay. We'll talk to you next week. Bye. And that brings us to the end of this week's journey. But don't worry. Dave and Ryan have more movies to watch and more opinions to spew next week. You can relive today's episode at CastleCountryRadio.com. Thanks for joining us on Ryan and Dave's Movie Review. Ah, the hell with it. Send it in, we're done. See you next week.